You folks are old hands. You know that our readings during the Easter season are chosen specifically for the neophyte Catholics. Instructions for those who are new to our community. And so our very first reading today, the first week of the lessons, is about the seeming idyllic lifestyle of the earliest Christians. It's pretty remarkable as you listen to that reading, considering everything that could have gone wrong on the first Easter when the risen Jesus first appears to his disciples, which is our gospel passage. Despite betrayal, abandonment, and doubt surrounding that first Easter Sunday, God's plan for creation continues towards its fulfillment. Bob Schreiter, the great theologian, says that we should try to hear all of these stories after the resurrection as stories about reconciliation. It may not be practical for us to live as the Christians did in the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, but we can still live deeply in love of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The biggest paper I wrote in the seminary was called my integrating paper, and it was about reconciliation ministry. Now, I wasn't just talking about the sacrament, but the totality of what we're called to do in healing the rifts between people and the rifts between people and God. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to cover the whole paper in the next eight minutes. I thought you'd laugh at that. I guess you're just really glad. Um, <laughs> It's no coincidence that the first command, the first imperative verb that Jesus uses in the Gospel of Mark is the Greek verb metanoian. Usually we translate that as repent. But that word that's, loses a lot of the richness of the Greek. So it's metanoia. The second part, noia, means mind. But the first part, meta, can mean outside of, like metaphysics, or beyond, like metamorphosis. So beyond or outside of the mind. Jesus' call to metanoia is a call for us to completely transform ourselves in both our thinking and our actions so that we conform ourselves completely to the will of God. Reconciliation is not so much an intellectual decision in our minds, but a spirituality, a way of living, an ongoing conversion in our hearts. I often say in speeches, reconciliation is like motherhood in apple pie. Everyone says that they're for it, but not everyone wants to do the hard work to make it happen. You can open up any issue of Reader's Digest, you can open up any volume of Chicken Soup for the Soul and find lots of feel-good stories about forgiveness. And the warm fuzzies we feel mask the truth. The work of reconciliation is very hard. Usually, we view reconciliation as something that someone else must do for us. We're right. It's the other person who's wrong. The very first story of sin in the book of Genesis illustrates our tendency to deny responsibility. Adam says to God, the woman who you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, so I ate it. It's not my fault, God. And the woman says, the serpent tricked me into it, and so I ate it. Every time we are hurt by someone, we need to conform ourselves once again to the will of God. If there ever was a truly blameless victim, it was Jesus Christ on the evening after the resurrection.
Yet, when he enters that upper room with the very people who abandoned him and denied him, he begins by saying, peace be with you. And at every Mass in the church, we quote that passage before we celebrate the communion we have with one another and the communion we have with God. This past week marks a very horrible anniversary. 21 years ago on April 7th began the genocide in Rwanda where 800,000 Tutsis and moderate Hutus were killed, massacred by their neighbors. Immaculate Ilabagiza survived by hiding in a secret room for a hundred days, even as people she knew were standing outside this building screaming for her death by name. Long after the genocide, long after Immaculate believed that she had forgiven her Hutu neighbors, she suddenly realized when she went to visit the graves of her parents in her hometown that all of her neighbors who were still alive were complicit in the deaths of her father, her mother, and her two brothers. She writes in her autobiography about her experience. She says, My heart hungered for revenge and I raged inside myself. Those bloody animals, they are animals, animals, animals. I rolled out of bed and got down on my knees. Forgive my evil thoughts, God, I prayed. Those who did these horrible things are still your children. Oh God, help me to love them. A sudden rush of air flooded my lungs. I was sad, deeply sad. But my sadness felt good. I missed my family desperately, but the anger that had gripped me like a returning malignancy was gone. How do people find the ability to forgive in a situation like this? How can they value mercy on this Sunday we call Divine Mercy Sunday over that other desire that secular society calls justice? Jesus' words that he says regarding wealthy people entering the kingdom of heaven might apply here. For human beings, this is impossible. But for God... All things are possible. Immaculate eventually visited the prison where a man named Felician was being kept. Felician was the, mo the man most responsible for the murders of her family. She had heard him screaming for her death while she was hiding. She recalls this moment. Felician was sobbing. I reached out touched his hands lightly and quietly said what I'd come to say. I forgive you. My heart eased immediately and I saw the tension release in Felician's shoulders before the sheriff pushed him out the door. When the sheriff returned, he was furious. What was that all about, Immaculate? That was the man who murdered your family. You forgave him. How could you do that? Why did you forgive him? I answered him with the truth. Forgiveness is all I have to offer. Immaculate had been wronged by Felician, yet she found it necessary for her to be transformed, for her to be vulnerable, for her to offer unconditional forgiveness in order to achieve metanoia. 
Most of us will never face anything as horrific as genocide. But we face a temptation every day in our lives to emphasize what divides us rather than what unites us. This year, many, many students at the University of Tennessee have walked into this building and talked to us about their struggles with the sin of gossip. And they realize afterwards that it causes such needless divisions. There's a very simple solution to gossip. It's just this. Never, never talk about someone's shortcomings unless you can talk to someone that can directly help solve the problem. If you're talking to anyone else, you are just adding fuel to the flames of sin and division. Maybe you struggle with gossip. Maybe you doubt your ability to stop gossiping. Which brings us to the lesson of today's gospel passage. The first lesson for our neophyte Catholics. Doubt is an integral part of faith. When Thomas doubted, the other disciples didn't kick him out of the community. He was still there with them. And eventually, he makes the most profound statement about Jesus in the entire Gospel of John. My Lord and my God. Or in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Whether you've been Catholic for a week, or a year, or a lifetime, the lesson is the same. Reconciliation is a lifelong process. And that process requires ongoing internal conversion. We must keep availing ourselves of God's grace to keep the process going. Let us continue to receive the Eucharist the best food for that journey.